Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Now, what's interesting with Job, with Job chapter 1 is I've been going through every week since, since March when we returned from Cambodia, I've been going through the book of Job on a weekly basis uh, on Facebook Live with, uh, with the people in, uh, in Cambodia. And so we're on last uh, Saturday, let's see, yesterday what would have been lesson number 28. And so we're, we're due to be in chapter 32 um, here shortly. But uh, yesterday I went into Job chapter 1, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you that lesson um, of Job chapter 1. And the reason I, I tell you that is because when I give you, you know, when we talk about these things in Job, what you're going to see is that what, what, I, what we teach as missionaries, you know, in what we teach on the mission field is exactly the same things that, that, that we teach here. Same thing. Uh, maybe has different application in different circumstances, you know, and there's definitely different problems to deal with in Cambodia and other mission fields, but, but it's essentially the same things. And so that's why these messages, almost every, every message or sermon or that, that I prepare can, can, be, can be just easily translated into an American audience. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to read two verses in the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. All right, let's read these and then we'll pray. Verse 4 says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning. And offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we come to you committing this service to you. Uh, Lord, we know we only have grounds to approach you through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful for your salvation. Thank you for your protection of Victor and Mrs. Stewart. Uh, Thank you for your grace and mercy shown upon uh, various people in our church who are bearing illness, Lord. And With the exception of Melvin, as far as I know, no one is very seriously sick. And I I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that you'd give grace to those that are still unwell. And Lord, as we look in the book of Job, uh, we just, I pray that you would help us to focus, help us to to um, open our hearts, to receive with meekness and and grafted word. I pray that your spirit would teach us, Lord, and uh, use the example of Job aright to help us to see what we should do and how we should live before you. Help me to know what to say. Help your people, Lord, each one, to receive the word. And, uh, Lord, I can't do anything without you. Lord, we depend upon you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the book of Job. Job is a wonderful book. I was telling Brother Brother Brown how that I've been going through Job for, you know, was it 28 weeks. 28 weeks is a long time to spend in one book. Now, Now, for those of you who are ardent Bible students, I have not been going verse by verse through the book of Job. That would probably be one of the most difficult studies how many of you have ever read the book of Job and just went away scratching your head like, 
what in the world is this talking about? That's, yeah, the book of Job is that. So I'm just hitting the highlights and, and trying, to, trying to glean truth from it. Uh, but, but while I've been reading it and having to read it over and over, I've, uh, the Lord has taught me a lot. Job is, a, is just a fabulous character in the Bible. And his suffering is suffering that was undeserved as far as humanly speaking. His suffering was... Um, his suffering was far greater than we give, we give appreciation for. There should never be, even though Job, Job had faults in the book of Job, there's things that Job did that were wrong. He wrongly accused God. He, uh, he was self-righteous at times in the book of Job. Uh, but all of that being said, there's not one of us that ought to ever have a critical word to say about Job. Job's suffering was, was profound. And his response to it was profound, considering how severe it was. And I'm sure I would not have done as well as Job did. Um, but Job was, in the first part of Job, chapter 1, you see how upright Job is. I mean, verse 1, he was a, uh, he was a man who was perfect and upright. That does not mean he was without sin. All right, The word in the Bible, perfect. Look it up in the dictionary. It does not mean without sin. That's the way we use it today. But he was one that feared God and eschewed evil. He avoided evil. He was, a, he, was just a, he was just a model Christian, if you will. You know, a model believer in Christ. And, and I want to just, of course, we know all the things he had. He was a very wealthy man. And a lot of people equated his wealth with, with his righteousness. In other words, they presumed, his three friends in particular that come later, uh, they presumed that the reason he was wealthy is because he was righteous. And therefore, the reason he lost his wealth is because of some sin that he had committed, right? Some really, really bad one. And, uh, and so, but as we look at Job and, and, and the way he was, there's one particular aspect of his life I want to look at which is, it starts in verse uh, 4 and 5. It says, again, And his sons went, went and feasted in their houses, everyone his, everyone his day, and sent and, call, sent and calls for his three sisters to eat and to drink with them. You know what I thought of when I, when I read this? <clears throat> First of all, there's no, there's no indication that the sons, of jo- the sons and daughters of Job, there were ten in all, seven boys, three girls, there's no indication that they were sinning when they were feasting. They were rich, Right? They had the means to have parties, but you know what's interesting is they're inviting their brothers and sisters. You know, I thought, man, I got a lot of kids, right? And I really want my kids to grow up to be adults and like each other. Right? Right? And that's so often not the case. And, and I know because, and I know all of you have parents, and this is a message that deals with parenting, right? Deals with parenting. So if you don't have, if you don't have kids yet, well, then just save it and remember it for later. It's like a McDonald's cheeseburger. It'll last a long time. Hey, <laughs> I've never tried, but that's what they say. But it's a sad story when kids who, are, who grew up in the same house don't get along with one another as adults. And, and you can ask my kids. I've warned them about that multiple times because that's just a really sad thing. So as parents... That's something we need to be aware of. We need to be cognizant of. 
is that there are problems that can come up and they can start when kids are small. And these, and, and you know, with my kids, because I have multiple and I can, you know, I, I have the benefit, I guess, of seeing multiple personalities and, and how they interact, what my, my kids gravitate toward one another. And some of them don't get along as well with others, with some as they do with others. That's a problem. You know, that's something that has to be nipped in the bud and dealt with as a child. So that when they become older, they can be like Job's kids. And then when they have a party, they invite all their brothers and sisters too. Right? It's a good thing. What does the Bible say? Oh, how good and pleasant it is for what? Brethren to dwell together in unity. Is that unity? Is that what they're and, of course, that, that's a spiritual. We know that. But, but, I mean, you could apply it to physical as well, right? It's a blessing. And uh, if you've ever been in a falling out with your siblings, that's just not a nice thing at all. It's not nice at all. Verse 5, though, says this. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. Sanctified them. Now, look at, hold your place here and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll try to hurry. We read fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to get sued by McDonald's for that comment. Yeah, I didn't say that. None of you heard it. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. Just a kind of a... Kind of an ambiguous maybe or a, a passage of scripture that, that people don't talk about a lot but I think there's something to be said about this it says and unto the this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians he says and unto the married I command yet not I but the Lord let not the wife depart from her husband this is a woman uh, choosing to divorce her husband right God says plainly don't do it you say well, I've already done that. Well, we have to move on from there, right? God, God gives grace. God forgives. And uh, all of us have made mistakes. And it's just that so, sometimes we categorize these mistakes as special mistakes, you know, like these are things you are, that you carry with you forever. And there are effects to these kinds of things. But we have to remember that God is good. And he forgives. And we can move on. And that, that just, because, just because we make a mistake once and we sin once does not mean that God can never use us. And, or that's, that's so often, you know, sometimes so often, often said. But nevertheless, God says, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Same words for the husband, right? Don't get divorced. All right, it's that simple. Verse 12, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. All right, so now you have a situation. Uh, now let me clarify. This is a situation where you have a man or a woman who is married, and their spouse is not a believer in Christ, not a Christian. Now to clarify... The Lord does not want a Christian to enter into a relationship like that. Amen. All right? We need to be clear. Under no circumstances does God want... Oh, you say, well, what about the prophet that married the, 
that, yeah, what's his name? Hosea, that's right. Yeah, Gomer, that's an, that's an interesting name. I'm just, I mean, moving on. I think even Pastor Stewart would have laughed at that. But God does not want us, if we're unmarried, right, to enter into a relationship with someone who's not a believer. It just doesn't work, and it's, it's against the Scripture. But there are people that get saved already in the situation like that, where their, their spouse is not a Christian. And, and God says, if that's the case, and verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, if that's the case... Number, th- number one thing, the thing God says is, don't leave them because they're not a Christian. Stay with them. And then he says, verse 13, and, the, and it also says, if they're, if they're content to live with you, if they're content to be married to you as, as a Christian, and sometimes they're not, okay? Let's just be plain. Sometimes they're not. There are people that have gotten divorced because one of the one of the the people one of the the, the partners uh, 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 got saved, and the other would not tolerate it and sought a divorce. But if they're willing to stay with you, God says, then you you just need to remain married. Now look at what it says the reason. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. What does that mean? I notice no one is offering their opinion. (laughs) All right, here's what it says. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. All right, so here's what I'm going to just say what God said, and then we'll... If you're hoping for a... A, a sound theological explanation of this, I just am not going to be able to give it to you completely. But God says this: If you have a, a man that's married to a woman who's uh, a man that's married to a woman who's not a Christian, and you have, or you have a woman married to a man who's not a Christian, God says, stay together, because the unbelieving man is sanctified by his believing wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by believing husband, and the fact that they're together somehow makes your children clean. Now, that, of course, that's not talking about dirt. So all, all I can say about this is, is there is something to be said about two people, even though one of them is not a Christian, staying together. Now, what all that sanctification means, I don't really know. But that man doesn't know God, but, but God's looking at him special because he's married to a woman who's a Christian. How? Why? I don't know. And then that is trickles down to their kids. To now the God says, in that case, their kids are, uh, otherwise their kids would be unclean, but now the kids are holy. So you have the kids of a, of a, of a, of a family where you have a, a man who's not saved, a woman who is saved. There's something to be said about staying together because of the kids. And I'm not talking about, you know, because you don't want to do harm to the kids. That's not the context here. The context here is spiritual things, Right? But God says there's something to be said about, about that family being together, even though it's divided like that, for those children's sake in the sight of God. And so 
I pointed that out because the same language is used here, that word sanctification and unclean, as in the book of Job. Because Job sought to sanctify his kids. In other words, he sought to do something, if I could put it like this, he sought to do something such that his kids would maybe receive God's special favor. In other words, something to maybe protect them or, 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 maybe, do, or, or maybe do something as the father... To, to, to bring them under the umbrella of, of God's goodness. And listen, if you are a believer in Christ, you need to represent your family, Amen. right? You need, to, you, need to, you need to be out there standing, listen, stand like Job did, like Abraham did, like men of old did, like Noah, standing between your family and God and being that man in between. Saying, these are my kids, Lord, protect them. And you kind of hover over them and you take care of them. That's the job of a, of a believing parent for the kids, even if your spouse is not a Christian. Right? And that's what Job's doing. He is concerned of their, about their spiritual well-being. Look at the second thing in verse number 5 in, in Job chapter 1. Job sent and sanctified them. Look what it says. And rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings. He rose up early. He put forth effort, right? He was not negligent or lazy in ensuring that his children had, were, were, had good spiritual health. Ensuring that his children were, were, um, were, were under God's protective care, if you will. Ensuring that his children were right with God. He was not negligent. He was not lazy. He got up early. What did he do when he got up early? He says, it says in verse 5, he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. In other words, offering burnt offerings. Now we know we don't offer burnt offerings. Jesus is the offering, right? He's sanctified forever. Then there, he, uh, he what was, I'm, I'm missing the, word, the, the verse here. He perfected forever them that are sanctified by one offering. He gave himself. But you can see a truth here. Job is inquiring of God. That's what the burnt offerings imply. Job is going to God. He's interceding for his kids. He's, he's going to God in their place. That's what the word intercession means. Now what don't you see in this? You know what you don't see? You don't see the kids offering burnt offerings or praying to God at all. Now, did they? I have no idea. But you don't see it in this text. But you do see Job doing it in their stead. Now, you might have kids. You might have kids that have spiritual problems. You might have kids that aren't believers. You might have kids that have all kinds of issues. But what we can, the role we can play as a parent is we can be that man that goes or that woman that goes in, in, in the middle... And intercedes between them and God. They're not right with God. You're all, you are right with God. So you go in and you intercede on their behalf. And in our modern day, we don't have burnt offerings. We have prayer. We go to God on their behalf. We pray for them. And Job was not lazy. Job got up early. And apparently he did it, he did it often. Job got up. He wasn't lazy. He made it a point. He made it a priority that his kids had spiritual well-being as well as physical well-being. 
You see, it's not enough for us to care about the well-being of our kids in a, in a physical sense. Like what kind of job they're going to have or what kind of the education they're going to have or, or, or what kind of, how they're going to make money or how healthy they are or what school they go to or, or friends they have. That, those things all are, are all important in their place. But, but this is not talking about that. Job is going through all this trouble for one reason and one reason only. For his kids' spiritual well-being. He's making it a priority. He is, he is I want to say, <laughs> Matt knows what I'm talking about. He's, he's endeavoring to, to uh, and putting forth the effort to make sure that he's, that he's doing his part to keep them spiritually well. I just want to ask you how, and it doesn't matter if your kids are small or your kids are big. If your kids are grown, it doesn't matter because you're a parent, you're a parent forever, right? How concerned are you with your child's spiritual well-being? Does that concern rise to the level of action and effort, rising early? Look at what it says in verse 5. They rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Now, we're making a comparison with the burnt offerings of Job to prayer in our time, right? Interceding in their behalf. They're not offering the offerings. Job is offering the offerings in their place, right? Intercession, okay? Notice he's praying for each one. Now, Job beat me by four kids. Job had ten kids. He prayed for them by name, one by one. In other words, in this context, he had one offering for each one. Right? You should pray for your children that way. I should pray for my children that way. Pray for them by name. And you know what? I don't, I don't always do that like I should. But listen. When you pray for them one by one and, and you intercede on the behalf of your children one by one, it'll help you just slow down a little bit and call to, to mind what their spiritual problems are, each one. What, what specific things you should pray for about them. You know, my kids, some, some of my kids have issues that others don't. Some of my kids have a, a mouth that's a little more wild than the others. Right? Some of my kids are, are more obedient than others. Some of my kids are more outwardly obedient, but behind closed doors, they're, you know, they're, they hide. You know, that's the way I, kids are kids. Are kids. They're just people, little people. And so we, can pray, we should pray for them and intercede for them on an individual basis. That's what Job is doing. Look at what it says. And offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, this is his motivation now. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. You think, man, that's, that's bad. Job was worried that, about his children's spiritual well-being. Job is worried that they're sinning. Let me ask you a question. When you have observed spiritual decline in your children, does that alarm you? Right? Does that alarm you? Now please, I know there are people in this room that have heartbreaking issues with children. I know that. 
And I am not. I'm not on anybody's case. Just trying to help you. There are people in this room that have borne uh, very difficult things with their kids. And, and I'm still in the process, you know. So I, I'm trying to speak humbly, knowing that, uh, and just explain what Job did as an example to us all. Job was concerned about the spiritual well-being of his kids. It alarmed him when he, when he thought or considered that his kids might not be right with God. Look what it says at the end of this verse. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Thus did Job continually. What did Job do continually? One of the greatest, one of the greatest things that you'll ever learn to do and will help you more than anything else, more than having a dictionary in your study of the Bible, one of the greatest things you'll be able to do, that you will ever learn to do, is to follow the context of the Bible. Right? Is to follow when it says thus. What's it talking about? What did Job do continually? He's talking about the intercession for his children, right? So, if we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it's verse 17. I could be wrong. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, of course, we know that we can't all pray all the time. Like literally around the clock. If that's the case, then I'm sinning right now because I'm not praying right now. Right? And you're sinning too because none of you are praying right now. But this is a, a reference to pray without ceasing, I, I believe, is a reference to that continual prayer. And that, I don't mean continual every minute. I mean, I mean you, you put something on your prayer list, you know, and you pray and you don't ever stop. You don't ever take it off your prayer list. You don't ever forget. You, you pray from now until you can't pray anymore. This is how Job prayed for his kids continually. He prayed without ceasing for his kids. He interceded for his kids continually. I just want us to do a survey of the way we, we do with our children. How are we doing with them? You say, my kids are small. So, you should pray for them. Intercede for, on their behalf. They won't always be small. As many of you can testify. You know, I find myself as I get older, I find myself saying the same trite things that older people said when I was 20 and just had a kid. Right? I mean, your kids get older and say, man, they know more than you think they do. Right? How many of you have ever heard an older person say that? Like, by oh, old man, I've heard it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. They know more than you think. And here I am saying it, right? You know, I see Matt and Nikki, and I see, uh, you know, Judson. Their youngest, well, for a little while longer, their youngest, he, he doesn't like to talk a lot. But, but you know, I, 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 can, I can feel it coming up in my mind. Hey, you know, they know more than you think they do. It's so dumb, but 
Your kids will not always be small. They will be big. And we should pray for them continually. I should pray for my kids continually. Intercede. Let's look at a few verses here. Leave this section and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're almost done. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4, or verse 3 rather. Verse, verse, uh, verse 3 says this, Hear, O Israel, this is part of the law. Deuteronomy means second law. This is the second time God is repeating himself to Israel, giving the law a second time to Moses at the end of Moses' life. All right? So they're about to go into the promised land. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River, just across from Jericho. They're prepared to enter the promised land. Joshua is ready to take over, and God tells the law, his law again to Moses. Hear, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of, our, of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently. Now notice the word diligently. And compare that to Job's, the reference in Job where he said, continually. How he rose up every morning, right? He rose up early in the morning. He says, Thou shalt teach them the word of God diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Okay, I just want to point out one small thing about this. God wanted the parents of Israel to care for the spiritual well-being of their children. Right? That's the intention behind this. Because God wanted those kids to grow up to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And one of the ways God prescribed to do that was for the parents to teach their children and instruct their children, not just how to have a good job, and Joshua and I have been talking about that, right, or what course of study to, do, to go to, or how to drive a car, or how to use your money. Those are all fine things. But what about the spiritual? Right? That should be, that should be our top priority. Amen. Top priority. Of course, uh, turn to uh, 2 Timothy real quick. And this will be the last verse we go to. Of course, we know Proverbs 22. We won't, we won't turn there, but Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Verse 5. Paul talking to Timothy. Writing this letter, this kind of intimate letter. To Timothy. 
Speaking to Timothy on a personal level, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Now look what it says. Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. Or Eunice. I don't know how to say this. Your Bible probably has a pronunciation key and it probably has a little line over the E at the end. How many, whose Bible has a line over the E at the end? Matt Brown. Okay. You have to be the one guy. <laughs> so we'll say you nicey for Mr. Brown, all right? Oh, man. How many embarrassing and, and, uh, and crazy mess-ups that we've heard come from one another in church in Cambodia? <clears throat> he says, And thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So Timothy's faith... Timothy's faith had a, a basis, a foundation. Timothy's faith, of course, we know it come from God because faith comes by hearing him by the word of God. But Timothy's faith was a result of his grandmother's faith and then his mother's faith and then his faith. So there was a, there was a, a progression. There was a, uh, their faith was, as it was, as it were, passed down to Timothy. And that, of course, does not mean that Timothy did not have to believe in Christ personally. Of course, he did. But that faith was passed down because his grandmother and his mother were concerned about his spiritual well-being. Right? Look at chapter number 3. Again, Paul talking to Timothy, he says this. And that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe Timothy was the rare prodigy that went to the place where they kept the scriptures, the local synagogue or whatever, I don't know, and went in there and at, when he was seven or eight years old and asked the rabbis to let him read the Bible when he got off of school. But I doubt it. In all likelihood, how did he learn the scriptures? From a child. How did that happen? His mother and his grandmother taught him the scriptures. That's the way it works. But, and that's, a, that's the thing you ought to do. In fact, that's not what I've been talking about. I've been talking about intercession mainly, right? With Job, from the example of Job. But there's one truth you see there uh, once again. You see a grandmother and a mother who are concerned about the spiritual well-being of their, of their children. And what's, what's more to boot is in all likelihood, the best we know, from the way Timothy is first introduced in the book of Acts, the best we know, that his mother was probably married to someone who is not a Christian. The best we know. The Bible in Acts only says is his mother was a Jew and it mentions her. She was a believer. And then Timothy and it says, but his father was a Greek. That's it. As if there's something a little weird there. And so we go back to 1 Corinthians 7. You have a, a, you have a, a, a lady who's apparently, I'm, I'm, I know I'm reading between the lines a little bit, so just give me a little bit of liberty. 
You have a, a lady who's married to, a, apparently her mother was a Christian, and then she's a Christian, and she has this son with this other guy who may, probably is not a Christian because he's not mentioned at all. Even though, even though he should be mentioned, he's not mentioned. It's, it's the mother's faith that's mentioned. But yet you have Timothy who is sanctified, right? Because of his mother's faith. And because his mother, even though she was married to a man who wasn't a Christian probably, she took the time and was diligent enough to, to take care of her son's spiritual welfare. Her son's spiritual health mattered. And so she did what was necessary. And you can see the result of it. That his faith, unfeigned faith, unfeigned, that's a good word, it describes Timothy's faith. Faith that wasn't fake. It was real. Genuine faith. And he had that faith, no doubt, because he knew the Scriptures. And he knew them because of his mother and his grandmother. So I just want to encourage you to take the example of Job and for all of us to take our, our, the, the spiritual health of our kids seriously and be that intercessor and be that person that's doing whatever is necessary to to ensure that our kids are spiritually healthy and are right with God. And to be that priest, if I can use that term, someone who goes between God and them to to make that connection, to, to, to care for them, even if they're not where they should be. And they often aren't. 